Good morning. Good morning. I trust your week was well and that you have uh, prepared your hearts to hear uh, God's Word this morning. Uh, I do want to say this, if you have questions, uh, feel free to ask those questions. Uh, we do have a box back there, put those questions in the box. I received some good questions this week that uh, we will address um, shortly at one of our elders Q&A. So um, feel free to, to do that. We're here to try to help um, each one understand the Word and uh, what we're supposed to do, our response to it and obedience. So <clears throat> if you would take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy, we're going to start out in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and then we'll move to Romans chapter 12 this morning. And over the past three weeks, we have been looking at the family. We have looked at the role of a husband, a father. We have seen where he is one that is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He is the protector, not just physically protecting his family, but spiritually as well. He is the provider. He has the responsibility of providing for the family and paying the bills. We have also learned that he has the responsibility of sanctifying his wife and children, leading them spiritually and benefiting from them as well. We have looked at the role of a wife, her priority to her husband and to her children. She is to submit and respect her husband. She is to love her children and to be the manager of the home. We talked about her purity, uh, specifically in her dress. She is to dress modestly, not bringing attention to her figure but to her face. We talked about how children need to be obedient to parents with a grateful heart and the blessings that come from that. We've also looked at the priorities and responsibilities of parenting to disciple our children, to have patience and understanding and dealing with them, recognizing that each child is different and has a unique personality given to them by God. We talked about how a, uh, at a young age, physical discipline is necessary for disobedient behavior and rebellious attitudes. We also learned that we are to instruct our children, that we teach them about God and His ways, which are found in the Word of God. Now what can happen when we hear all of these things, and then we start to look at our lives, and we start to see that they don't really match up biblically in places and they don't match up with what the home is supposed to be like or the husband or the wife or the the children and what it can do is it can be discouraging but what I want to do and I want you to do is realize that when issues come into our thinking when we are confronted with something and you can see it black and white in the scriptures um, that is grace That is for our good. God speaks to us and He speaks clearly. And sometimes He keeps bringing things up because there needs to be a change. I I don't know about you, but when something's going on in my life, God keeps revisiting that over and over. And he keeps, he doesn't let it alone. Uh, He comes back to it. And so there's something that needs to be changed. But I think for most of us, we weren't shocked by what we have heard over the last three weeks. They don't seem unreasonable and out of place because we are believers that are hopefully spending time in the Word of God. Now, if the things that were spoken were shocking to you, they seem unreasonable and out of place in your life. 
or maybe you're giving excuses for why your situation is different and these things don't apply, that may show that you have bought into the philosophies of this world. But I think for most of us it wasn't a shock. There was a recognizing that this is what the Bible says. Now what can happen when we have messages like this is we walk away burdened or frustrated because we really don't know how to get there. Listen, the last thing I want you to do is walk out of this sermon series feeling frustrated and burdened that you can't do it all. Or you go out of here and you're trying to hit all the boxes and you can't and you throw your hands up in frustration. Because doing these things just in and of ourselves by sheer willpower will not bring success or change. It is the work that takes place in the inner man that will then make all of these things that we've talked about not burdens, not just another thing to do on your checklist. They can become a joy and a delight because we want to honor God and because we want to be what God has called us to be. And in doing that, our homes become places. And when I'm talking about joy, I'm not talking about joy like the world talks about, where it's just happiness and it's based on circumstances. I'm talking about joy that is not moved by your circumstances. Biblical peace. Our homes can be that. But let me tell you this about myself. I was very much one of those people that were overwhelmed by all the boxes I needed to check. There's way more boxes than I could get checked. Uh, I have referred many times back to my previous ministry when I was a full-time pastor. And I used to go to a lot of pastors' conferences, fly all over the place, go to all sorts of conferences. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many I've been to, uh, but it's quite a few. And I found that I started coming away more depressed and frustrated than encouraged. And I realized uh, a lot of what was going on was just more things. I was getting more things that I needed to do in ministry that I wasn't doing. Uh, It was more than I could possibly do. Remember, I'm already going seven days a week, you know, ten hours a day, neglecting my family and other priorities in my life. It's the same way with being a teacher. If you're a teacher or have ever taught, there's always something new. There's always some new way and you can teach something to get the kids motivated, to to get them to love math. I never loved math. Never loved it at all. And it didn't matter what the teacher did. She could do jumping jacks up there and I was not going to enjoy math. But you go to these teachers' conferences and they tell you all the things that you should be doing as a teacher. Teachers are no longer just asked to be history or English teachers. They're expected to be like parents. My wife at one conference was told that she needed to be in the home of each child every so often during the school year. And the people that sit around and come up with this stuff forget that teachers have homes. They have husbands, wives. They have children. And so we walk away with things like that, from things like that with the weight of the world on our back. Because there's no way we can do it all. Wives, mothers, I want to tell you something. You cannot build a career, take care of your home, take care of kids, stay fit, 
Fix all healthy meals for your family. Have time for your friends. Read that book you want to read. Have your devotions. Dress well. Fix meals for other people. Send cards. Try to spend time with extended family. Try to have quality time with your kids. Try to spend time with your husband. Try to keep the house clean. You can't do all of that. Superman can't do all of that. But that is really what the world expects you to do. But what can greatly lighten our loads is when we hear heavy messages like we have heard is that we get back to the priority of the Scriptures. We view all of life through the Scriptures from God's point of view, not from the world's view. Christ said that His yoke is light. We are the ones that make the load heavy. We add a lot of things to our God-given responsibilities. It's kind of like the guy who was converted to Christ and he is converted and he is at the bottom of the hill and he has his cart. I'm not going to say wheelbarrow because I always say it wrong. It's borrow, isn't it? Barrow. Anyway, I didn't pay attention in English class either. So, he has his cart at the bottom of the hill. And Christ comes along and He puts some things in that cart. These are His responsibilities. He's, he possesses the Holy Spirit that will help Him accomplish the things that God has given Him to do. And He starts up the hill. And it's a little grassy incline. And things are fairly easy with His responsibilities. But what happens along the way is the young man begins to add a lot of things to his cart. Things that the world says that he should have, that he should do, that he should experience. And after a while, the young man becomes frustrated and irritated because of the heaviness of the load. He can't seem to push the load up the hill. He is angry because of the responsibilities that he now has. He also realizes that his journey is no longer in a straight line up the grassy incline. It has wandered off into a very rocky, very steep, dangerous mountain. Jesus shows up and He looks in the cart and He says, where did all these other things come from? And the responsibilities I gave you, where are they? The man had to admit that he had to discard some things along the way. Jesus asked the man, why are you on this dangerous path? The man replies, I don't even know how I got here. And now the journey back to the grassy hill is a hard trek. A lot of things have to be taken out of the cart to get back to where you're supposed to be. But listen, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. That's what we do in our lives many times. Is It's hard for us to fulfill the commands that God has given us because we've added so many other things to the cart. And we can even discard biblical commands for worldly philosophies and things and stuff. We have maybe wandered into precarious places where we put ourselves and our families in peril. When we disregard our biblical responsibilities, we open ourselves up to grievous grievous and painful sins. And then God's chastening and discipline will come. But if we really want to have peace in our lives, if we really want to not be stressed and overwhelmed, because we shouldn't, because Christ says, don't be anxious about anything. 
So if we've wandered off course, how do we get back to where we're supposed to be? How do we not let all the things that we've talked about just become burdens to us? And then we just discard them because it's too much. We need to get to the heart of the issue and start there. And I believe even though we may have to make some hard choices about how we're living in our homes and our kids, about our spouses, those things produce biblical joy, biblical peace. Love is deepened in our relationships and in our homes. If you remember, I gave you those concentric circles of responsibility for a husband and a wife. And in all the relationships, what is the primary one? God. God is central. And so this morning I want to step back for us to look at where we're at with our personal relationship with God. We have to get the vertical relationship right before we can make wise horizontal decisions about family, work, kids, and spouses. So we've looked at these relationships. These horizontal relationships where on earth now this morning what we want to do is we want to focus on the vertical, the right relationship with God. That has to be pursued. That has to be the top priority. If it's not, everything else on the horizontal suffers. So with that said, look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. Listen, God working in our hearts is not just transformation of our actions. It is transformation of our attitudes to what we do as well. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit, a lot of those attitudes, those are attitudes that we are to have. And so we want to go beyond just the doing of things and checking boxes or just adding weight to the cart. We need biblical priorities that are done with the right heart attitude because God cares about our heart very much. He cares about what's going on on the inside. Look at Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 47 and 48. It says, Deuteronomy 28, 47, Because you did not serve Yahweh your God with gladness and a merry heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore... You shall serve your enemies whom Yahweh will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things. And He will put an iron yoke on your neck until He has destroyed you. Just like we learned last week that we are after our children's hearts, not just conformity to rules. And even with the child, their honor and their obedience and their reverence comes out of a heart of gratefulness as we talked about last week. It's no different with us as adults. Uh, I use this little formula in teaching uh, the young people at school. And it is doctrine plus delight plus duty equals impact. First, there is doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says because we cannot please God in any way. We cannot live rightly. Our thinking will be wrong. Our attitude will be wrong. Our actions without knowing what He says. So knowing God's Word, knowing doctrine is fundamental. You have to have knowledge. As you grow in your knowledge as a believer, you should begin to delight in God more and more. To love Him deeper, to love His Word, to love other believers more, to love your family, your kids, and your wife, and your husband more. 
Delight grows as you grow in your knowledge of God. And then out of delight comes our duty, our service, what we do. Our actions need to be with the right motivation. Our actions are out of delight, out of joy, out of gratefulness. And if we get these things out of order, it causes tremendous problems in our spiritual growth. For example, if we know doctrine and we skip the proper motivation of delight and go straight to duty, we become legalistic. We become self-righteous. If we put delight before doctrine, then we will be those that have zeal without knowledge which leads to mystical type of Christianity. It's all about feelings, emotions, and experiences. For your life to change at the core, you need to know what the Bible says. You then begin to delight in what God says, knowing that it is the way of blessings. And out of that delight, that love for God is your duty, your service, your roles in your family, your obedience to God's Word, your ministry. If they're not done out of a delight in the heart, then they really mean nothing for God. That's what God's saying in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He didn't say because you did not serve Yahweh your God by doing all that I commanded you. The woe comes not because you didn't serve, but the service was without gladness and a merry heart. It wasn't being done with the right attitude, the right motivation. It didn't come from the inner man. It didn't come from inside out. It's going through the motions and that doesn't bring blessing and that doesn't really bring any change. So God is after our hearts. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. This is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. All of chapter 12 is the expected responses to us being converted, brought to Christ. For the past 11 chapters, Paul has been detailing our great salvation. And then he begins with this in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Holy Spirit says through Paul, therefore, and so we must ask, what does the therefore refer to? It refers to the unfolding of the gospel from chapters 1 through 11. Romans 12 and following is the practical conclusion to the last 11 chapters. And Paul here is begging us for the proper response to this glorious gospel. Listen, there is this warning here. And Paul is begging. And it's because we can live in such a way that we're not a living sacrifice. So, if we automatically become a living sacrifice when we're saved, then there's no need for the verse in Scripture. It is possible for the believer to live in a manner that is not a fully living sacrifice. Paul says, I appeal to you, I beg In the light of the gospel, justification by faith, the work of sanctification, God's election of us, God's providential care, all of those things in 1 through 11. Therefore, do these things. Paul begs us by the mercies of God. 
And the tender mercies of God are what is detailed for us in the first 11 chapters of Roman. He is pleading with us to respond rightly to the mercies of God that we have been given through the gospel. So my question is, how do we respond to what all we've heard over the last few weeks? I have sought to be accurate. I have sought to be clear. I have sought to be direct. And I hope that you see that I have done that in love. And so we've heard some hard things. So now how do we respond? What do we need to do to get ourselves to the point of where we're seeking to be godly husbands, godly mothers, godly wives, godly fathers, godly children, and a home that is shaped by the words of the living God? We first must respond by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is in the last half of verse 1. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, or present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The response of the believer to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the response of a believer upon hearing the word of God is that we are to be living sacrifices. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The word body here is not just our physical body, but it means our entire person. This is the response to Christ's work on the cross. As believers, we give of ourselves as a living sacrifice. In thanksgiving, we give our whole self for our whole life. This is not a sacrifice of bulls and goats. This is a living sacrifice. This is an act of worship and praise for what has been done on our behalf. We gladly give up our lives in response to God's mercy. And we follow His Word. Look at Matthew 13.44 for a moment. Hold your place there in Romans chapter 12. And turn to Matthew 13.44. It says, Matthew 13.44... The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. For the joy of knowing Christ, we give up our lives. We have a throwaway life. My response to God is that I give up all of my hopes and my personal dreams. I give my entire life because of the mercies of God granted to me in salvation. For He is worthy and therefore I submit. When we come to Christ, we are no longer our own. We belong to Him. We have been bought with a price. We are wholly set apart to God and God alone. Listen, church, our lives are no longer about us. It's no longer about what we want. You resigned those things when you came to Christ. So as a Christian husband, you no longer get to live your life how you want to live it. Your life is all about God and all about the other people that God has given you responsibility for. Wife, your life is no longer about you. And what you want, your life, is about what God wants for you. Mom, it's no longer about you. Father, it's no longer about you. 
You have resigned your way of life, and now another way of life, another pattern of living has been shown to you in the Word. But listen, this is for your joy. The parable in Matthew 13 tells us there is joy in finding this treasure. It's worth giving up everything for. We give up everything to possess Christ. And after our conversion, we continue to give up ourselves, die to self daily, every area of our lives. Christ is to have lordship over all of it. Amen. And listen, this type of living results in joy, biblical joy that circumstances cannot take away. Listen, young families, your joy is not found in the money that you accumulate. It's not found in houses, cars, success, careers. Mature saints, it's not found in your retirement, your accumulation of wealth. Young people, joy is not found on your social media, in your own plans and schemes. Joy is found in following Christ. Yes. It is found in being obedient to His Word. This really is the work of sanctification. We give ourselves to the work of sanctification, which is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Christ. Our response to God for so great a salvation is that we present ourselves as living sacrifices, wholly separated to God. And this is acceptable to God. We can offer sacrifices that are not acceptable. We create sometimes self-made sacrifices that give the appearance of spirituality. But God is not impressed by those because what does He know? He knows the heart. Some give money to missions but never tell others about the gospel. Some may go to church but are never involved in serving others. They never use their gifts. We may act like a Christian in certain situations, but then we go places, listen, watch things that Christ would not approve of. We make decisions about jobs, careers, money, material things without a thought of what God says. Many who claim to be believers are not fully in. There's only partial obedience in their lives. But what is acceptable to God is out of love, out of delight, we obey the Word of God. It is total devotion. It is to fully, humbly trust God with every part of our lives. That's easily said. That's easily said. But it is another thing to tackle those areas in your life, those strongholds, and let Christ have them. Let Him have lordship over them. It is no longer our life for the living. It is His for the directing. And He has clearly directed us as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, and children. There is no ambiguity in what has been said in God's Word about any of our roles, about any of the responsibilities or expectations that God has for us. And if we are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may have to do some very hard and difficult things to get back to where we're actually following Him fully and not doing our own thing. And listen, Paul tells us that being a living sacrifice is our spiritual service. And Harry is right. The better word is reasonable. This is reasonable. The word means logical. It is logical service, logical worship. In light of what God has done, in light of the joy that it will bring, the logical thing to do is to completely give ourselves to Him. 
The Bible along with common sense tells us that if Christ's death on the cross purchased our salvation, saved us from our sins and from eternal hell, then we completely belong to Christ. It says spiritual service of worship. This is a service of the mind. It is common sense that our minds are fully engaged for a life of worship. Listen, there are so many things in this world that seek to distract you. I am convinced that Satan loves noise. And what he wants to do is keep the TV on, keep the social media going, keep the music going. And what he does is he distracts you from thinking about your life as worship, all of it as worship. We can be distracted by responsibilities at work, cell phones, social media, movies, programs, Nice stuff, convenient things. And when we are thinking like that, our minds cannot be fully engaged for a life of worship of God. As I said in my first sermon, there is no separation between the secular and the sacred. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink the most mundane things in your life, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do is to be for God's glory. It is worship. Where you go, what you listen to, who you're with, what you watch, how you function as a husband, a wife, a father, and a mother, and a child is to be according to His Word for His glory. Being a Christian is not a part-time religion. It is not a little sprinkling of Jesus on Sunday mornings. It's all worship. At least that's what it's supposed to be. And praise the Lord, one day... Everything we do will be worshipped. Listen, you can tell where, what you're actually worshipping by just looking at what you do with your time, your money, your words. Is it self-worship or is it the worship of God? So our response to God of this great salvation is that we give all of ourselves as a living sacrifice. Listen, this is not just for pastors or missionaries or things such as that. This is for all Christians at all times. Amen. Now look down at verse 2. So we respond to God in complete abandonment of ourselves to His will for our lives. Everything comes under the Lordship of Christ. Your job's not over here and church is over here. Everything is under the Lordship of Christ. And so we have another response here. Responding properly to the gracious gift of salvation that we have and responding properly to the Word of God involves close examination of what we are being conformed to. And this is where we need to be very honest with ourselves in the light of Scripture. A lot of pain came this week. Uh, Not just physical, but... You know, this sermon is for me, if you want to know. This sermon is for me. Um, because, anyway. Romans 12.2, look at this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what is the will of God, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our reasonable spiritual or spiritual service of worship involves two things. One, we are not to be conformed to this world. And two, we are to renew our minds. First, we're not to be conformed to this world. 
what the apostle has in mind is not to be conformed to the spirit of this age. We are to not be conformed to this present world system. Once again, this has to do with our minds. The battleground is your mind. The battleground is always the mind because the mind will produce the actions. The philosophy of this age is to think and live for today because they say that's all that there is. To be conformed to this world is to live for today acting like this is all that there is. It's like being pressed into a mold. You begin to look like the world around you. It is easy for your flesh and my flesh to get pulled into thinking like the world thinks. And sometimes we have to really be jolted. There has to be things that happen in our lives that God uses to get our attention and tell us, you're not being conformed to Christ, you're being conformed to the world. Believers are nonconformist. And we are nonconformist because we obey the Word of God. We live for a future hope. Yes. That is how one is not conformed or pressed into the mold of this world system. And we are either being pressed into one mold or the other. And this is a warning for us. Do not be conformed to this world. Because we are given this warning, that means that there is the potential for us to start adopting philosophies, ideologies, patterns of living that this world says we're to have instead of having our minds renewed and thinking biblically about our lives. And so how are we to avoid being conformed? How do we think biblically about our home and our families and our roles? If we look at our roles and how we're functioning currently in the roles in our home, our home, how does it look? Does it look like the world says it's supposed to look like or does it look like what the Scripture says it's supposed to be? Now listen, every single one of us have room for improvement. We will have room for improvement until the day we die. But we do not use that as an excuse to keep doing or not doing the things that are contrary to Scripture. The warning is here because we can begin to adopt the philosophies of the world. And I want to keep underlining this for you that there is joy and blessings found in doing it God's way. God only blesses His way. There is joy, peace, blessings found in obeying God's Word with the right heart attitude than anything this world can offer you. So we're not to be conformed to this world, but on the other hand, what should we be doing is we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transform means transcendent, beyond forms. Conformed is being pressed into the mold or thinking of this world, but transformed is to go beyond the forms of the world. We are conformed to this world when we do not obey the Word of God, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. At the moment of salvation, our minds are transformed. Our thinking is transformed. And in the course of our Christian life, our minds are continuing to be transformed. The thinking of the transformed are completely opposite of the thinking of those that are being conformed to the world. You cannot be a believer in Christ and be in a continual, habitual process of being pressed into the world's mold at the same time that you are becoming more like Christ. 
can't be in a process of becoming more like Christ and at the same time being in the process of becoming more like the world. If you are really unfazed about anything that we've talked about in the home or the family, and you're just going to continue to live how you want to live, and God doesn't put the brakes on that, you don't know Him. Right. You don't know Him. And listen, all of the things that we've talked about, folks, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, it is going to be a work in futility yes. to do these things. You can't know what the Word of God says and continue in an unrepentant, habitual pattern of living and call yourself a Christian. Turn to 1 John chapter 1, please. 1 John chapter 1. I want to look at verses... Five and following. First John one, starting in verse five. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him, God, a liar, and His Word is not in us. John uses the idea of walking to reflect a person's way of living. The apostle makes it clear that you can't actually be walking one way and say you're walking another. It is physically impossible for me to be walking towards Orlando and Detroit at the same time. To explain this further, look at Galatians chapter 5. In Romans, you are either being transformed or conformed, In 1 John, you are either walking in darkness or you're walking in light. And in Galatians, you're either living by the flesh or living by the Spirit. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. And Paul describes for us what it looks like those that are walking in the flesh to be in the process of being conformed to the world. And this is not an exhaustive list. So keep that in mind. It says in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." The thinking of those that practice such things are being conformed to this world. And those that do these things as a habitual pattern of their life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now this does not mean that if you have done some of these things that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Genuine Christians do sin, but it is not a pattern of their living. If a large portion of your life is spent pursuing the things of the flesh, you are being conformed to this world. So what is the pattern of your living, of my living? But Paul doesn't just give us the works of the flesh that reveals that one will not inherit the kingdom. He also gives us a list that reflects one who is transformed and walking in the Spirit. Look at verse 22 down to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This bouquet of attitudes and actions reflects one who is walking in the light, walking by the Spirit, and is being transformed by the renewing of their mind. You can't say you are being transformed into the image of Christ and actually be in the process of being conformed to the world and its thinking, its philosophies, habitually. Now let's ask the question, how is one's mind renewed? How is our thinking actually changed so that these things don't become burdens but become delights? Joys with the right motivation to conform our way of thinking to the Word of God. How do we do that? This only happens by the Spirit through the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. How do we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord? It is through the Scriptures. It's through His Word. The Spirit, through the Word of God, changes our minds at the moment of salvation. And my heart and life will be affected by that change. And from that moment on, I should continue to have my mind transformed by the Word of God, which brings further transformation. What would happen... If you were given a manual, four inches thick, your boss said, listen, you know this manual, and you will make a half a million dollars a year. What would you do with that manual? A half a million dollars a year, what's that going to do? That's going to completely transform your life. You can buy whatever house you want. You can get whatever vehicles you want. Christmas will be extravagant. You can wear the finest clothes, eat the finest foods. It would bring a total transformation of how you are living. Most people, what would they do? They would take that thing home and they would read it and reread it and know it backwards and forwards so that they could get that job that would transform their way of life. Well, you have that. You have that. You have a manual, which is the Word of God. And when we are saturated by it, it brings transformation. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. This is saturation of your mind with the Scriptures. Each of us has in our laps or our possession this morning a book that can totally transform your and my way of living. But we've got to eat it up. Yes. 
We read and we read and we reread and we meditate and we memorize and we pray asking God to show us wonderful things from His Word. And the outcome is those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, self-control. Now all believers have those fruits. If you're a believer, you have those. They could be very small. But through God's Word, our hearts are cultivated so that there will be abundant fruit. God's will is that we produce much fruit. When we start doing that, when the fruit is continuing to develop and grow, then your life, your home, looks more and more and more like the biblical pattern. In turn, it will bring joy and delight in the things that mattered than if you had got that job that paid a half a million dollars. Do you know the passage that I quoted from in Colossians there? Just right under that, where it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. Starting in verse 18, it starts talking about our roles again. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, homes. So for things to be moving in the right direction, conforming to the pattern of what the Lord has said begins with the saturation of our minds with the Word of God. The more we take in, the more we think like God about our jobs, our home, our spouses, our money, and our possessions. Alright, let's wrap this up. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You have this word transformed here. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis. It has the idea of what is on the inside will show itself on the outside. Remember, this is heart issue stuff. If you truly belong to Christ, it comes out in the way you live. Paul then tells us what happens to the one who is transformed by the renewing of their minds. Last part of verse 2, that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. The one that is being transformed by the renewing of their mind will, by the Word of God, know the will of God. We're not talking about where to go to college or who to marry or what iPhone to buy. This is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now the verse goes on and breaks down sanctification Father, and talking about sexual immorality. But God's will in short is He is after our sanctification. Your sanctification, my sanctification, us being conformed like Christ, to Christ's image. Our being set apart to God. It is a work of God that makes us more like Christ, but we must be diligent in what we do to also become more like Christ in attitude and actions. Two sides of the same coin. God's will is that we be like Christ. So what are the responses to this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? What should our responses be to the Word of God? To conform our thinking, to conform our roles and our homes to the biblical pattern. That's God's will for us. Listen, you're not losing anything. You are not losing anything by doing it God's way. Even if you have to make drastic changes and things have to be put on the execution block, you're not giving up anything. In fact, what you're giving up is the stress and the misery 
and the chastening hand of the Lord that brings discipline when we seek to live life our way. But we're gaining so much more. When I was a young person, I always thought that life was out there. Even when I was first married, life is out there. Um, And as God got a hold of me in some very painful ways, I realized all of what I was looking for was right here. Was right here. I already had it. It had been given to me by my Heavenly Father who loves me, who doesn't want me to be anxious, stressed, and in fear, but wants me to possess joy and peace. Whatever we have to give up, whatever things we have to change in our homes to conform to the biblical pattern will be well worth it. Yes, change can be hard. Putting things on the execution block can be painful at first. But emphasize it over and over again. God only blesses His way. You cannot go wrong patterning yourself as a husband and a father, a wife and a mother and a child, your home after what the Bible says. It will never steer you wrong. God will never disappoint. The world does. The world always disappoints. Look at the track record of musicians and celebrities and they get to the top of the mountain and they're more empty than they ever had been. Their lives are so much more a mess. There's so much misery. The world always disappoints. Let us follow God and His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your truth. I thank You, Lord, for its transforming power in our lives. I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would work mightily in our hearts uh, with our diligence that we might be conformed to what Your Word says and to look more and more like Christ. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.